The prophet Amos delivered three sermons to Israel, each beginning with the phrase, hear this word. The phrase reminds me of the times Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The phrase also reminds me of when the highway trucker asks his fellow trucker, do you have your ears on? Or when the wife says to her husband, are you listening to me? The Lord pleads with wayward Israel, seek me and live. Seeking the Lord begins by listening to him. Do you have your ears on? Are you listening to the word of the Lord? Once you hear him, then do what he says. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. We often say, God bless America. We sing, God bless America. But does our nation really deserve God's blessing? Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, always glad to have you with us. Today, Ron takes us to the book of Amos where God shares a rather sobering message with the nation of Israel, one that he could very easily give to our own nation today. Stay with us now as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, or visit somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Now here's Ron with part two of his message, Amos, Seek God and Live. I pray the Lord never says to us, after all I did to get your attention, you did not return to me. Remember, he's a patient, long-suffering God, desiring to bless us far more than to bring judgment. But there are consequences built into the economy of the world and the universe if, if if we don't seek him. The third sermon in chapters five and six highlights more sins of the ancient house of Israel. It begins with a funeral lament. And it predicts Israel will fall and only 10% of the people will survive. That's a 90% casualty rate. A prophecy in scripture, that's a tough one. In the middle of the sermon, the Lord pleads to Israel. Here's our theme, chapter five and verse four. Seek me and live. Let's say that together. Seek me and live. The Lord goes on to mention cities like Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. Maybe they're not familiar to us, but they're familiar to them back then. These had become places where people sought pleasure and prosperity and the pagan gods of the foreign nations. And the Lord repeats to the people, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the, the God of hosts will be with you as you have said. Now, this is not the first time in our study of the prophets, major or minor, that we've come across the Lord's invitation to seek him. Do you remember the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. If you seek me, you will find me. That's Jeremiah. Amos, seek God and live. The word seek speaks of a, of a quest we are on. What kind of quest are you on? What are you seeking after? What is that quest which consumes your time, your energy, which if you're honest with yourself and others is really that, that quest that defines your life? Are you on a quest for, for money and prosperity? For pleasure? For power? You go up the road just to Washington, D.C. I lived there for almost a decade. What a power-mongering city. Everybody's on a quest for power up there. Maybe it's for fame. None of which, any of these things that I just mentioned, are wrong in and of themselves. You can use power and prosperity and pleasure and even fame for good. But if it becomes your all-consuming quest, well, there's only one thing that can be first in your life and that's your quest for God. And Israel had drifted far, far away from God. I'll say it to you this way. They failed the test of prosperity in the northern kingdom. You say, what do you mean, pastor, the test of prosperity? Well, there's the test of adversity, and oftentimes when we, when we uh, face adversity, like a 9-11 attack or a hurricane or some other disaster, what does it do? It puts us on our knees before God. Hopefully, it didn't always with Israel. The Lord withheld the rain. Their, their, their economy was, was threatened by it. But, it. but it didn't drive them back to the Lord. There's the test of adversity. Then there's the test of prosperity. That's even a harder test. What happens when, when you achieve what you want to achieve, when you get the promotion you want to get, when, 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 you, when you have the money now that you've been on a quest for for all these years, or the power or the fame? Where's your heart in relation to God then? Has, has prosperity caused your heart to drift away into idolatry, self-idolatry? Seek God and live. You want to live the way God intended you to live, the way he created you to live, then make him your quest in life. Seek me and live. So we had eight burdens, three sermons, but sometimes a picture helps. Now in chapters uh, seven through nine, almost the end of the book, we have five visions. A picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? And a vision from the Lord is worth a lot too, especially when those visions are of the coming judgment upon the northern kingdom, which follows Amos's five, five sermons. And the first vision was that of a locust invasion. We, we, we read about that in the book of Joel. Maybe it's a, a similar or um, a different locust invasion. We don't really know. The second vision was of fire. And at this point, something very interesting happens uh, with the prophet Amos. He, he prays for the people he's ministering to. He sees the vision. He sees the impending danger. He prays for Israel, the northern kingdom, and the Lord hears his prayer. 
and, and says, okay, I won't bring that disaster, the locust and the fire. It's a beautiful example of the power of intercessory prayer. Are you praying for our nation? Uh, we sing, God bless America, but are we really that blessable? Come on now, let's be honest. Pray for America. Pray that God doesn't bring, lower the boom on America. We certainly deserve it for a whole host of reasons and a whole list of uh, abominations and the way we've profaned God's word. We, we deserve God's judgment more than we deserve his blessing. Pray for America. If God used the prayer of a fig picker from Tekoa to avert the disaster of locusts and fire, he can use your, your, your prayers and my prayers as well. The Lord showed Amos a, a third vision. It was a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? You know, if you're a contractor or a carpenter, you know what a plumb line is. You, you drop that line and you, know, you, you measure everything you're building against the straightness of that plumb line. And the Lord gave Amos a vision of a plumb line laid alongside Israel. It was meant to say Israel is about as crooked as it gets. The fourth vision was that of a basket of summer fruit suggesting she was ripe for judgment. And then the fifth vision was uh, Amos seeing the Lord standing next to the altar, indicting Israel for her dishonesty and her despicable treatment of the, of the poor. And that takes us all the way to the early verses, all the way to about chapter uh, 9 and, and verse 10. We're almost done with the book, and it, it's a heavy read. And you're asking the question at this point, after eight burdens and, and, and uh, three sermons and five visions, is there any hope for ancient Israel? Is there any hope for us? Now, Amos does something a little bit different than some other prophets. Unlike Ezekiel and Jeremiah, two of the major prophets who weave their prophetic promises, hope-filled promises throughout their writings, Amos waits to the end of the book. All right, you got to get through eight or nine chapters of burdens and sermons and visions and the heavy slog that it is to get back to that understanding that the Lord really desires to bless his people more than he desires to judge them. And that comes really beginning in chapter 9 and verse 8 when the Lord says, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. No, I can't do that. I can discipline my kids. I can punish them for that. But I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. And the Lord continues with three promises, three I will statements that accelerate us through the lens again of, of Bible prophecy all the way to the end of the age. The first I will has to do with raising up and repairing and rebuilding the house of Israel. Chapter 9 and verse 11, in that day, the Lord says, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. What a promise. Circle those words, uh, raise up and repair and rebuild. And they point to a time when the Lord will restore Israel under the rule of a Davidic king in fulfillment of the covenant that he made to David. Remember, God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. He made a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, also to King David. And, and, and that covenant depended not upon their performance, but upon the Lord's character. 
He says, I'll be faithful to you. I will fulfill the covenant, even if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain. And this will happen despite the 10 tribes of Israel who broke away from the Davidic dynasty nearly a century earlier to form the northern kingdom under Jeroboam's evil rule. It will happen despite the Assyrians who later would take Israel captive in the years to come and scatter the Jewish people across the earth. The day will come when God will raise up, he will repair, he will rebuild the house of Israel. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Amos, Seek God and Live. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry, to ask our ministry team to pray for you, or to order selected resources from our online store. Here's something else for you. When you make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll say thank you by giving you access to a new resource that goes along with this current series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. It's Dr. Ron Jones' ebook that covers the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, Hosea through Malachi. Request it today for your gift to Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. Let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message, Amos, seek God and live. It goes on in verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Listen to this. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. This is messianic language. Uh, this is speaking of a wonderful time when Messiah will come and the Lord will not only raise up and repair and rebuild, but he says in verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. What a day that will be. You say, Pastor, when will that be? at the end of the age, after the second coming of Jesus Christ, which I believe is a two-phase event, starting with what I call the next event on God's prophetic calendar, which is the rapture of the church, which the Bible tells us will happen in the twinkling of an eye, faster than you can blink your eye, boom. The bride of Christ is gone from this earth. And what happens later is seven years of tribulation. And as part of that, at the beginning of that, a world leader comes to the stage. He's known as the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast of Revelation. And uh, he will say to a world that is in chaos and to economies that are collapsing, everybody calm down. I have a plan. If you just give me a little bit of your freedom, I'll give you safety and security. And he even says that to Israel in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. He secures peace in the Middle East for Israel. At the midpoint of the tribulation, he turns on them and he becomes the devil that he is. And the Bible says during the tribulation period, 
that you will not be able to buy or sell in that world economy without the mark of the beast. You ever heard of that? 666? You know, a generation ago, you read that and you go, how exactly is that going to happen? Who's going to take control of the world economy and say, you, you can't buy or sell in this economy without that? And yet this week, we heard from the President of the United States these words. If you want to do business with this government, you will be vaccinated, okay? We ought to be concerned about that, whether it comes out of a Democrat's mouth, a Republican's mouth, or an independent's mouth. Simultaneously, the Prime Minister of Australia said this, quote, we will lock out of our economy the unvaccinated. I don't know what's happening in Australia, but I don't want to live there right now. And I'm not here to you know, say whether you should or shouldn't be vaccinated. That's a personal choice. My opinion, it's a personal choice. But what I'm hearing is the conditioning of the world to what the Antichrist will do in time and say, you cannot buy or sell in this world economy without my mark, whatever that is. Wow, we're living in... <laughs> We're living in incredible times. The tribulation period culminates in the Battle of Armageddon. And phase two of the second coming of Christ, now Jesus Christ, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, returns with his church. And he fights the enemies at the Battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Jezreel, that, that, that landmass that Napoleon said is the greatest battlefield ever on planet Earth. And then after that comes the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, when these promises in Amos will be fulfilled, when the Lord will raise up, repair, rebuild, and restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. Are you getting some sense of where the prophets fit here and where we are, where we are right now? Today's headlines, the world conditioning for a situation on planet Earth that most of us would scratch our heads a generation ago, how is that exactly going to happen easily? We're seeing people exchange their freedom for a little safety and security all over, and it's just going to accelerate, especially when, when the chaos happens after the rapture of the church and economies collapse and so forth. Chapter 9 and verse 15 of Amos, the Lord goes on to say, I will plant, not just raise up and repair and rebuild and restore, but I will plant on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. Yeah, the Lord's going to make good on all of his promises to Israel, despite how ancient Israel just, you know, walked away from him. And despite how they even rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Oh, during the tribulation period, the book of Revelation says there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists who come to faith in Christ. Many of them will lose their life. They'll be beheaded for their faith. But Israel will come back. And they will recognize their Messiah who came 2,000 years ago. They will grieve and wail over how they rejected him.
but God's promises are yes and amen. Promises that he made thousands and thousands of years ago through the prophets. Amos is a great book. And it's, it's a reminder that God can and does use unlikely people from out-of-the-way places to accomplish his work. He, he did that with Wally Amos Criswell from El Dorado, Oklahoma. And he used a kind of an obscure, out-of-the-way sheep herder and fig picker from Tekoa, the southern rustic name Amos. And he can use you. And he can use me. Some kid from Indiana. A Hoosier doing what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? There was nothing in my background. I don't have pastors who are fathers and grandfathers and all that. You know. If he can use me, he can use you. If you're just faithful and available, accountable to him, teachable. If you just seek God as the number one quest of your life to seek him and to know him better than you knew him yesterday, more intimately than you knew him yesterday. And you'll live eternally and you'll experience life like you've never experienced it on this earth too. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, Amos, Seek God and Live. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me in the studio. Ron, earlier today you said we sing God Bless America, but are we as a nation really blessable? Let's talk about that for a few moments as we wrap up today's edition of Something Good. Yes, and thanks, Brian. Now, what I'm about to say is not about politics. I am addressing a moral and spiritual issue as it relates to the United States of America. We have turned away from God and away from our original values as a nation, which was founded on biblical principles. For example, we removed the Bible and prayer from our public school systems 60 years ago. We sanctioned the murder of unborn children 50 years ago. We now celebrate, not merely condone, but celebrate same-sex marriage and transgender lifestyles. And so I ask again, can and should God bless our nation? After decades of rebellion, it's true we're still enjoying plenty of divine blessings as a nation. But we're missing out on plenty of divine blessings as well. And barring a turnaround, I fear it will only grow more severe. We're already witnessing a decline in our international influence that is beginning to match the decline in our morality. And the way to get back to it, Brian, the path to national healing is for us as the people of God who are called by his name to humble ourselves and to seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Now, uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, which I just quoted, was a promise to Israel based on God's covenant. But I believe we can take it as a promise to America or any nation based upon God's character. It's not up to the people who do not know the Lord to make the nation right. It's up to the people who do. So let's pray toward that end. Let us repent. Let us seek the face of God and turn from our wicked ways. And then watch our merciful, loving Father in heaven and see what he will do. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for those words of encouragement, Ron, at a time when we need to hear them like never before. Now, before we leave for the weekend, tell us what's coming our way Monday as you continue your teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Brian, our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the book of Obadiah. Now, many people remember the story of Jacob and Esau and their rather heated sibling rivalry. Eventually, the two brothers reconciled, but that reconciliation was uh, evidently lost on their descendants, the Edomites and the Israelites. There came a time, centuries later, when the descendants of Esau sought to destroy the descendants of Jacob, and that's when God stepped in, speaking to the Edomites through the prophet Obadiah. Uh, There's some tough stuff in this book. There's some fascinating stuff as well here, Brian and plenty of practical lessons that still hold relevance for us today. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Obadiah, Sovereign Justice. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.